church and uh, hearing all your voices worship the Lord together. That's, that's so encouraging. I'll, I'll ask you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And I want to thank Pastor John for trusting me to finish out our series through the book of Philippians. We've been there for the last few weeks. And uh, week number one, we were taught in chapter one to rejoice in our suffering. Week number two, we were cha- taught from chapter two to rejoice in serving. We were supposed to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself. He took on flesh and he came to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We're to be like Jesus in that regard and rejoice all the while. Rejoice in suffering, rejoice in serving. And then last week we talked about chapter 3, rejoice in our salvation. Everything that Paul had accomplished in his life before Christ, he counted as loss just for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just knowing Jesus uh, made all the difference for him. That should also make all the difference for us. And so today, here we are in chapter 4. And chapter 4, Paul encourages us to rejoice in standing. Standing. That's kind of been the theme of our worship service today. You know, there are times in the Christian life where we're like newborn babies and we're just kind of crawling along trying to figure things out. We're just learning to walk in our newness of life. We stumble along. uh, We're learning... Uh, what God expects from us, and we're trying with the Holy Spirit's help to live and walk in obedience. There are other times in our Christian life, life where we're walking along uh, those, those quiet streams and the green lush pastures, and we're just growing, and everything is good, and life is great. There are other times when we're involved in kind of a sprint, and we're, we're feeling strong, and we're, we're running along, we're making great strides in our faith for Christ. But then there are other times in the Christian life where we just have to buckle down, plant our feet, and stand firm. And that's what Paul talks about here in chapter 4. And I think that this is a word to our church today. And the title of my message is Stand Firm. And we're going to look at the first 13 verses of chapter 4. If you've got your place there, I'll be quoting from the New King James Version. And Paul says, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren... My joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. 
I know how to be abased, and I know how to be abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength or who strengthens me. So here in this passage of Scripture, Paul is advising the Philippian believers and us here today to stand firm in seven ways, in seven things, and and hopefully uh, they'll make sense to you today as we study this text together. Before we jump into number one, I want to talk about standing fast or standing firm. Some of the newer translations say stand firm. It is a fixed or settled position. In the Greek, the word stiko is used, and it's a present active imperative, and I know that that's a blessing to you. Uh, What does that really matter to me? But I want you to understand that Paul is not telling the Philippians to to stand around. It's not a casual, passive standing. Just stand around. No, he's saying stand firm. Plant your feet. I don't know if you've ever been in a small boat out on the ocean. Uh, But if you ever try to stand on the deck of a small boat in the ocean, it's not a passive standing. If you stand passively and casually, you'll probably end up overboard. You have to shift your weight, you know, and the waves are moving and they toss you about. You have to shift around. to It's an active kind of a standing. And that's what Paul's talking about here in Philippians chapter 4. And so Paul concludes his letter to the church reminding them to stand in seven ways. The first is this. He said, stand firm in partnership. Look at verses 2 and 3. Right out of the gate, he's talking to two women in particular, Yodia and Syntyche, And he's asking them to be of the same mind. So apparently, these sisters in Christ are not getting along. There's division there in the church at Philippi. (laughs) Go figure, right? Two sisters in Christ not getting along. I'm just kidding. It could just as easily be two brothers in Christ. How many of you know that we don't always get along in church? Okay? It's sad but true. It's, It's sad but true. And so he's pointing them to their partnership that's greater than their preferences. He's saying, listen, listen, listen. I implore you, Yodia and Syntyche, be of the same mind in the Lord. He's not asking them uh, to lay aside all their preferences. He's saying you have a greater purpose. I want you to understand that we partner together, not around our preferences, but around a greater purpose, and that purpose is the gospel. Did you know that division comes from two visions? Die vision. When people have two different visions about the same thing, there's division that occurs. And so Paul is trying to to cast uh, and recast for them the similar vision of partnering together for the sake of the gospel. He implores them. And the language he uses in these two verses is pretty interesting. In fact, in verse 3, he goes on to say, and I urge you also, true companions. That phrase, true companions, is better translated yoke fellow. Yoke fellow. Now, what is yoke fellow? Well, it's not just some other guy that likes eggs, you know. It's it's a farming uh, tool. It's a farming phrase. In fact, uh, I want to show you a picture of a yoke today so you understand what Paul is getting at here. He says, my, my yoke fellow, I urge you to, to be of the same mind. And, and this is a yoke, and it was used on the farm uh, to partner up two farm animals so that they could pull together and partner together and combine their strength together. And so he uses this, uh, this kind of an, an, an analogy, a word picture using true companion, yoke fellow. Then later on in verse 3, when Paul mentions his fellow workers that partner with him for the sake of the gospel, he uses the word synergos. It's like the English word synergy. Synergy. 
And, and synergy is, is when two things combine and their combined energy is greater than their individual strength. And so again, we have kind of a picture of the yoke. Um, team building is about synergy. It means the end result is greater than the sum of the individual elements. There's a story about a contest in Canada among farmers for the strongest ox. And so what they would do is they would all bring their, their prize-winning ox uh, to this contest to see how much weight they could pull. And the winning ox on this particular occasion pulled 8,000 pounds by himself. The one that came in second, just a little bit less. But all the farmers were curious, what would happen if we partnered two oxen, the first place and the second place, together? Well, a lot of people bet that they could probably pull around 16,000 pounds combined. But instead, when they put the two oxen in a yoke together, the prize-winning oxen and the one who came in second, instead of pulling 16,000 pounds, they pulled 26,000 pounds. That's synergy. That's partnership. Partnership increases power behind our purpose. And so Paul is pleading with these ladies, you need to be of the same mind in the Lord. We labored together for the gospel. What is our purpose in our partnership? Our partnership is around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pull together for the sake of the gospel. And guys, if we don't pull together in church, we will pull apart as a church. In fact, I want to give you a phrase this morning in your, in your bulletin. I, I wrote it out for you. Everybody repeat after me. If we don't pull together, we might pull apart. It's true. If we don't pull together in partnership around the gospel, we will pull apart. It was happening in Philippi. It could happen right here at Hallmark. We partner together for the sake of the gospel. And when we do, it's powerful. Paul says, I want you to stand firm in your partnership. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul lists the armor of God for the believer. And in verse 15 of chapter 6, he says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is what our feet is shod with. That, that's what gives us holding power on the ground as we stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The purpose for our partnership is the gospel. He reminded, of, he reminded them that they labored with him in the gospel. He wanted them to stop focusing on their preferences and start focusing on the purpose of our partnership, which is the gospel. Have you ever heard somebody use the phrase, I can't stand that. I can't stand that music. I can't stand these new chairs. I can't stand it when they have Pastor Dave preach on a Sunday morning. <laughs> I can't stand it. Can't stand it. Well, maybe you're standing on the wrong thing. We're supposed to stand, not on our preferences. We're supposed to stand on the promises of God. We're supposed to stand on the gospel. That's why we partner together. Not once is Paul asking them to be the same. He's saying just be of the same mind in the Lord because the purpose of our partnership is greater than your preferences. We need to have one vision. I think a lot of times it's easy for us to get distracted. And by the way, the devil would love for us to spend so much time infighting over our preferences that we forget to outreach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would love to distract our church in that. 
So Paul says to his beloved brethren in Philippi, listen, I know the times are tough. I know that you're being tested, but we need to have the same vision. We need to pull together or Satan will pull us apart. The second thing we see in verse 4 is Paul admonishes them to stand firm in praise. Not only stand firm in partnership, but stand firm in praise. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. How often did Paul tell the Philippian believers to rejoice? Always. How often is that? Always. To rejoice is a choice. I read a great quote by Kay Warren this week. She says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. To rejoice is a choice. We have to choose to praise. Now, I I think we should all add a sentence to our vocabulary as Christ followers. And it is this. Praise God anyway. Can you repeat that for me? Praise God anyway. Praise God anyway. I think this is important because this gives us the mindset uh, of, it gives us a mountaintop mindset. It reminds us that, that to rejoice is a choice. And no matter what happens in our life, no matter what, what circumstances we're in, we can praise God anyway. Paul is not telling them to rejoice in their circumstances. He's saying rejoice in your Savior. Rejoice in the Lord always. And we can do that by saying praise God Anyway, well, let's, let's test this out, okay? I'm going to give you some scenarios. I'm going to read some sentences, and then you will say, praise God, anyway. Are you with me? Can we do this, okay? You can talk back to me. Okay. It looks like the Rangers may have a losing season. Oh, I know that was hard for some of you. But we can praise God anyway. It looks like it's time to put brakes on the car. Okay. I just got my 2018 tax access assessment, and my house payment is going up by $100 a month. Ouch, right? I just lost my job. Our teenager is breaking our heart with his or her rebellion. I'm not done with his or her rebellion. It's difficult. My wife was just diagnosed with cancer. It gets harder, doesn't it? It gets harder. But Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Again, I will say, rejoice. We're not rejoicing in the circumstances. We're rejoicing in our Savior. Job rejoiced after a tragedy. He took his children. He took his possessions. He said, the Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, he said, yet I will trust him. That sounds like a praise God anyway. Paul and Silas were arrested. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. And they started singing a song in jail. You know what the title of that song was? Praise God anyway. The newer translations tell you that. Anj Rukundo. Anj is in the house somewhere this morning. Remember? of our church. He fled the Rwandan genocide in 1994. He escaped certain death. He experienced hunger, separation from his family, exhaustion. He saw many of his friends tortured and murdered before his eyes as they fled. 
And in his book detailing those events, he concludes with these words, I thank the Almighty God who preserved us throughout this hard life experience and who still continues to keep his powerful hand on us. To him alone be the glory and honor. Anj, that sounds like a praise God anyway. We can praise God anyway, no matter what happens, because we don't rejoice in our circumstances, we rejoice in our Savior. So Paul says to the Philippians and to us today, stand firm in your partnership, because you partner together in the gospel, and stand firm in praise. Number three, in verse six, we need to stand firm in prayer. Stand firm in prayer, be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. The late uh, Dr. Jerry Falwell used to always say, God will never do anything great apart from prayer. We're to pray about everything. Unceasing prayer is one of the core values of our church. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. So what are we allowed to worry about? Nothing. Nothing. What are we supposed to pray about? Everything. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. No wonder we're supposed to be in unceasing prayer. If we pray about everything, we're praying all the time. Anytime you're tempted to worry, anytime a little bit of anxiety creeps in, you're to pray. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Stand firm in prayer. And then there's a promise that comes with prayer. It's found in verse 7. After you pray about everything, it says, Then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So stand firm in peace. Peace is a product of prayer. I love that Paul pictures peace as a, as a guard kind of like a kind of like a bouncer for your brain so I, I envision your your mind and, and there's this big burly guy standing outside the door of your mind and that's peace and when you pray after you pray about something and worry tries to creep in and tries to enter the door of your mind the big bouncer of your brain peace he says hey hold on he can't pass he can't pass I love that picture he said if you pray the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. I love that. Prayer strengthens our faith. It calms our worry and our fear. I don't remember who said it, but there's a great saying that says, fear came knocking at my heart's door. Faith answered and no one was there. I love that. When we pray about everything, God will give us peace that surpasses all understanding when we stand firm in prayer to God we will stand firm in the peace that's from God you know it's real simple when you live like this because if you don't have peace about something don't stop praying about it pray until the peace comes don't worry pray pray stand firm in peace and then he goes on in verse 8 finally brethren whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And so, number five, Paul wants us to stand firm in positivity. Positivity. Having a joyful mindset. 
is a choice. Having that mountaintop mentality, even in the darkest valley, is a choice. And we can be positive, even in those dark times. A little boy came home from school. A lot of kids are taking finals right now. A little boy came home from school. He said, Dad, I think I flunked my math test. And the dad said, Son, don't be so negative. And the little boy said, Dad, I'm, I'm positive that I flunked my math test. That's, that's kind of the positivity that we have more often than not. We, it, I'm sure the glass is half empty. I know it. I can see it. But, but we need to stand in our positivity. And there's, there's some guards that we have in place. And Paul gives us a list. It's easy to be pessimistic. But, but I think a believer in Christ needs, needs to try to be praisomatic. That's, that's a Dave word right there. I just invented that word. Praisomatic. Where praise is just automatic to you. You automatically fish for the good thing. You automatically look for the good thing. We have a, a lady on staff that is praisomatic. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it's Violetta Hickman. She will see the best thing in any situation and encourage us with it. It's a gift. She's praisomatic. And, and I wish I had that. I have a tendency to be pessimistic. She's praisomatic. But in, instead of counting our stressings, we need to count our blessings. Because there are blessings in our life. They're always there. We need to find a reason to praise God in every situation. Be positive. It's a choice. John Maxwell would always say, your attitude determines your altitude. Get rid of your stinking thinking. Do a checkup from the neck up. Can I get an amen? We have to focus on the positive. Accentuate the positive. If, if peace is a, is a guard for your heart and mind... Think of positivity as, as a great, that things have to get through or they can't enter into your mind. It has to be true, it has to be noble, it has to be just, it has to be pure, it has to be lovely, there has to be a good report in this somewhere, there has to be some virtue or something that's praiseworthy or it cannot get in my mind. I won't allow it. That takes some standing firm. I will stand firm in my positivity. I will choose to see the good. What is it that puts you in a positive mindset? Is it music? Is it quotes? Is it something that you see? I encourage you to build some, whatever you have to do, a playlist or have a book at the ready. Whatever gets you in that positive way of thinking, have it at the ready because it will be challenged every single day. You need to be able to replenish your soul. And put up that grate to protect your mind. So we're to stand firm in our positivity. And then in verse 9 he says, In these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Do these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Number six, we need to stand firm in practice. Practice. Information without application does not equal transformation. I was privileged to teach the teens this last Wednesday night over in our student ministry, and we were talking about the Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, how all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, proof of correction, instruction of righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then the three points of application uh, that I wanted the students to walk away with. I want you to love the Bible. 
I want you to realize it's a treasure from God. It's a gift from God. And then I want you to learn the Bible. You can learn before even you go to Bible college and seminary just by asking questions. What does it say? Why does that matter to me? What, what should I do with that information? And then the third point of application was I want you to live the Bible. Because you can fill your head with knowledge. You can come to church your whole life and know every Bible story. And then you can walk away from the faith. Why? Because you've never applied it to your life. I want you to live the Bible. And adults, grown-ups, we need to live the Bible. We need to do what the Bible says. James says we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. James 1.22. Information without application does not equal transformation. To quote John Maxwell again, the greatest gap in the world is the gap between knowing and doing. If information was all that we needed, everybody would be debt-free, fat-free, and sin-free. There's all kinds of information about how to be debt-free, fat-free, and sin-free. But what are we instead? Well, you know what we are instead. I don't have to outline it for you. Information is not our problem. It's the application of the information. We know the Bible. We are educated so far beyond the level of obedience, it's crazy. If we would just apply the simple truths that we already know, it would transform our lives. Application with the information equals transformation. Transformation. Uh, pastor Ben, our worship pastor, taught the Journey Connect group this morning, did a phenomenal job in Galatians 5. And he said something, and I wrote it down. He said, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Did I get it? Yes. We, we tell kids, you know, to do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> but you know what your kids are saying? Your actions are so loud I can't hear a word you're saying. Because your walk talks louder than your talk talks. We need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We need to stand firm in practice. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Every Sunday we gather and worship. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And we worship him. We say how awesome he is, how dependent we are on him. You know what he says to us? If you love me, keep my commandments. Joshua 1, 8 and 9. This book of the law shall not depart from your from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. But you have to do what God says. We need to practice what we preach. We need to stand firm in practice. And finally this morning, in verses 10 through 13, we need to stand firm in provision. Provision. You know, the Philippian church, they were faithful supporters of Paul's ministry. They supported Paul when he was in Macedonia, one of the only churches to do so. They supported Paul when he was ministering in Thessalonica, one of the only churches to do so. And yet again, they send him an offering through Epaphroditus. And so he thanks them. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Once again, you're, you're caring for me, you're providing for me, and it's incredible Stand firm in that. You know, when, when their missionary was arrested and put in prison, Paul was writing from prison. They could have said, well, he's in jail. He can't plant churches from jail. We probably should shift our support to somebody 
that's really out there doing something, right? But they continued to give. Man, this is a whole other sermon, but you know what I've noticed after serving the local church for 20 years? Is that a person's giving, their tithe, their offering, is one of the last things to come to a church that they join. And one of the first things to leave the church when they're upset about something. People tend to pull, out, pull, pull away before they pull out. They tend, to, uh, they tend to withhold when times get tough. When, when the going gets tough, the tithe gets going. That's not how the phrase goes, right? It shouldn't be. Can you imagine if, if God stopped giving to us when he was displeased with our attitude or actions? Think about it for a second. What if God implemented the same attitude that we use often in church? We get upset, we don't like some changes, we don't like certain things that have happened, so I'm just going to pull back, I'm going to withhold a little bit. What if God did the same thing? Every time we have a, a wicked thought, he cuts our breath off for a second. <gasps> or... Or he allows our heart to stop beating. Just to get our attention. What if God automatically drafted the amount from your checking account weekly that he thought you should give? And you found out after the fact. You had a number in your mind, he had a different number. It was a bigger number. And then you find out about it when you get home. Whoa! What if God was as fickle with us as we are with him. Man, stand firm in your provision. Now listen, guys, we're going through a transition as a church, our whole church family, going through so many different transitions. And I think this is a fitting word to us today, what Paul says to the church at Philippians. You need to stand firm. This is one of those times where you're not strolling beside the still waters and the green pastures. This is one of those times where we're not running the track and everything's great and we're feeling really strong and what's next, what hurls next, we feel good. No, this is one of those times where we need to kind of plant our feet and do some active standing. We need to stand together in partnership, not in preferences, but in our partnership for the gospel. For 70 years, Hallmark Baptist Church has been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully. 70 plus years, we're still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will continue preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. As soon as we're not standing on the gospel, run. But if you can look down and see that our church's feet are firmly planted on the gospel of Jesus Christ, stand firm. Because we're fellow workers. We're pulling together. And when we pull together, we can accomplish so much more together than we ever could apart. Don't let Satan pull you apart. We're partners together for the gospel. Stand firm in your, in your praise. I'm going to praise God anyway. I don't really know what's happening. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm a little confused, but I'm going to praise God anyway because he's good. And I rejoice in the Lord and not my circumstances. I'm, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to stand firm in prayer. 
You know, when times are tough in church, at least you know people are praying, or they should be praying. Because we're not supposed to worry about anything. We're supposed to pray about everything and then rest in the peace of God that passes all understanding. And be positive. There's something to, to thank God about. There's something to praise Him about. Count your blessings. And then we need to practice what we preach. We say that we're a church that's about making disciples who make disciples. Are you making disciples? We say it's important that we're to share Christ with those who don't know the name of Jesus. Are you sharing Christ with those who don't know the name of Jesus? Ken Freeman at the men's refuel, I think, gave Pastor John some really good advice. He says, Pastor, I think that you should preach on something until everybody in the church does it. So maybe you should preach on giving until everyone in the church is giving. That would be a long series, wouldn't it? You know it would be a longer series? Preach on personal evangelism until every single person shared the, shared the gospel with at least one person. And preach on it until everybody's done it. Because it's not the information that leads to transformation, it's the application of the information that leads to transformation. You want to see our church grow? Share Christ with someone. Share the gospel. That's why we're here. And then be faithful and stand firm in your provision. I'm going to close with something this morning that's a little near and dear to me. When I was ordained back in 1997 in Jacksonville, Florida, at East Point Baptist Church, my mom and dad came in to be a part of it. My dad could not be on my ordination council because he was a Pentecostal preacher. And I was being ordained as a Baptist so uh, he would think that I had answered something wrong when they quizzed me and the other guys would say uh, otherwise. But my mom and dad came to support me and they bought me a book. It's entitled uh, Great Lives from God's Word. It's a series by Charles Swindoll. This is volume one and it's the life of David. Great book, by the way. This whole series is incredible. But this is the first one. And then they gave me some... Uh, some, some meaningful words here. They inscribed it for me. My mom's probably watching online. She's in Pennsylvania. Uh, so, Mom, I hope I don't embarrass you. But I'm going to read what they wrote to me. And I want you to, to listen to some of the words because these words have given me standing power in the last 22 years of ministry. These, these are the words that kind of uh, solidify my commitment and remind me that, that, man, this is why I do what I do. And so I want you to uh, to listen to what they write today. My mom, she said, David was a man after God's own heart. What a goal. On this day of your ordination, I'm sure there are many dreams and goals that you have hidden in your heart. Some you will attain in the years ahead, and then some you won't be able to reach. Through all that is ahead, I want you to know how very proud I am of you, but nothing you could do, no goal you could attain could make me more proud than to know that the driving desire of your life is to be a man after God's own heart. Heaven is watching, David, not to applaud your success, but to aid in reaching this greatest goal of all. I love you and will pray for you every day of my life. One of your greatest fans, Mom. Isn't that great? Thanks, Mom. Yeah. Yeah, give my mom a hand. By the way, beautiful penmanship right here. Beautiful penmanship. Very easy to read. My dad, on the other hand, chicken scratches right here, but... My dad went to heaven three days, or th not three days, three years after he wrote this message to me. So pray that, pray that I can 
get through this, not only because it's emotional, but because I can hardly read what he, what he wrote right here. <laughs> Dave, your path may take you to heights where I never was. I've never been selected to sit, to sit with the lofty, nor to stand on the plains of the worldly successful, nor to share the accolades of the highly educated, but I have been selected to stand with the weak, the fearful, the battered, as they courageously moved forward, one step at a time for God. I felt the fears, I've cried the tears, and suffered by their sides, as I gave my best and my all, that they might always catch a glimpse of Jesus in the fury of the battle as he leads the way. I take pride in where I've served and by whom I have remained faithful all these years. One day, we shall stand together, strong in his presence, beyond the bloodied hill of Golgotha. There we, there we will be called forth as victors to the throne from all our fields of battle, leading with us those who otherwise would have lost and died. May God give you the anointing and direction through your fields of battle, that as we stand together side by side in his presence, he will know us as the faithful ones, tried and proven for his majesty's service. I'm proud of you. I love you very much. And then he says, stand with me on the other side. We have to stand firm. Because one day, one day we'll stand side by side in heaven before God. And he'll say, how'd you do? I called you out in salvation to make you a part of my bride. And I know sometimes it was tough. And I know sometimes there were storms. Did you stand? Did you stand firm? Were you faithful? What will you say on that day? What will you say? I'm going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to have us all stand. And instead of asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want you to look at me. As I look out across this church, I see multiple generations of people. I see younger, older. I think this is incredible. We're not all one, one age. We're not all one race. We have all different perspectives of life. We're diverse, and I praise God for that. When I look out here, I see heaven. I see all different colors, all different ages, all claiming Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is what it's all about. But I got to tell you, church, we have to be faithful, and we have to make a decision that we're going to stand firm, and that nothing is going to shake us because we stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. And we partner together for the gospel here and around the world. You're touching Iran and Pakistan. You're touching Guatemala and Africa. You're touching Honduras and Haiti. Not only that, we're, we're, reaching, we're reaching kids from the nursery to people just one step away from heaven. Not too many churches can say that. So today I want us to reach out. I want you to, you may have to walk a little bit, but I want us to join hands across the congregation. Reach out to somebody. 
Take somebody's hand. I want us to be unified this morning. I want you to take somebody's hand. If you're not able to get up and move, that's fine. Somebody put their hand on your shoulder or whatever. But I want us to kind of connect across the sanctuary. Because I want you to tangibly feel that we are not alone, that we're partners. We're partners together for the sake of the gospel. And the person on your right, the person on your left may have nothing in common with you but, but one thing. And that's this. They stand on the gospel just like you. And they're called to make disciples just like you. And not only that, not only do we have people on our right and our left, but we're standing on the shoulders of generations of people that said we stand on the gospel and we will be faithful to preach the gospel here and around the world. And now the mantle is on us. Now we have to continue that. Students, you have to continue that. It's on us. We're to stand firm. And one day we'll stand with them in heaven and rejoice and celebrate. And Jesus will say, well done. You kept the race going. You continued on through the tough time, through the valleys. You had a mountaintop mentality, and you refused to quit. You stood firm. You stood firm. And so I'm going to pray a prayer of dedication for all of us, on behalf of all of us, to God. Asking God to continue to give us the strength to stand firm. Are you with me? Are you in agreement with me this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come before you with thanksgiving in our hearts, knowing that you are so good and so great and you've called us out as a faith family. Lord, you put us right here for such a time as this to reach the thousands and thousands of people that are surrounding our church from all over the world. Lord, help us to be faithful, to partner together in gospel ministry and to do what you've called us to do. We don't want to just say that we're supposed to be a church who makes disciples. We want to be a church that makes disciples. We don't want to just say that we're supposed to share our faith with everybody that we come in contact with. We want to actually do that. We want to pray for opportunities. We want to be ready and equipped. Lord, help us to be prayer warriors. Help us to put into practice what we know we're supposed to do. Help us to be found faithful so that one day, with all those faithful saints who have gone before us, we can stand with them and be known as the faithful ones, the faithful ones. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to give us the power and the strength to do this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. Now we're gonna worship together, amen, praise God. We're gonna sing a little bit. And I want you to know this morning that as we sing, the altars are open. If you wanna come forward, you wanna pray, you feel God leading you to become a part of this church and you want to know more about Hallmark, I encourage you to come down. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we have many people down here that want to open a Bible and show you how to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ and become a part of this incredible, eternal faith family. So as we sing, as you feel led, if you want, you can come forward and pray. But let's celebrate together and worship Him this morning.